Bible, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 8, in just a moment. We are delighted you could be with us this evening on this rainy evening. My son Jordan, who preaches, we have a lot of little terminologies we've come up, just he and I understand. And one of the terminologies we use for baptisms is we got our sleeves wet. And so he'll call me and say, Dad, I got my sleeves wet. And that just is our little thing of saying, you baptize somebody. Well, I got my sleeves wet tonight, but I didn't baptize anybody. <laughs> but maybe we will. Maybe we will before the night's over. We are very hopeful for that. Really appreciate Jason's lesson this morning. Not ashamed. Not ashamed to live for him. Not ashamed to talk about him. Not ashamed to defend him. There's some things that we need to remind ourselves of how important that is. Tonight we want to talk about imperatives. Imperative is the idea of something that's very important. Something that's top of the list. If you left your windows down outside, it'd be imperative for you to go out and roll them up right now or else you're going to go home with some wet clothes because it's going to be raining. Imperative is something that's very important to do. It carries a sense of urgency about it. It carries a sense of priority, uh, even a sense of absolutes about that. And so just because someone says something is important doesn't necessarily mean it is. And when we think about that, we, we see how important it is as we think about some of the things that God has to say to us. All you have to do is walk through the toy section of, a toy, uh, of some store and you hear all kinds of imperatives from children. I've just got to have this right now. And moms and dads may say, well, your birthday's coming. Or they may say, put this on your Christmas list. But in the child's mind, we're not leaving the store until I get this right now. And that's kind of an imperative. It's kind of a sense of urgency about that. Now, when it comes to the Bible, there's several that we could look at. For instance, in Matthew 6, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a sense of priority or urgency, importance found about that. Acts 22, when, when um, the preacher was talking to Saul of Tarsus, he says, why do you delay, arise, and be baptized and wash away your sins? There's a sense of urgency or imperativeness about that. And when it comes to the Bible, when God says he's absolute, what makes him absolute and what puts him at the top of the list is because God says they are. And when we look at those things, that's important to us. And we need to rely, remind ourselves of this. You know, when we look at the Bible as a whole, there are some absolutes we can conclude with. And we'll begin with this, and this will take us in just a moment to John chapter 8. One of the absolutes we learn from the Bible, and that is men are not women and women are not men. Now, we have a lot of similarities. We all sin. We all need Jesus Christ. But when you look in the Bible, there are some differences in their roles. There's differences in biology. There's difference in function. Men are not women. Women are not men. When you look in your Bible, another absolute you learn is that boyfriends and girlfriends are not spouses. There's a limitation how far boyfriends and girlfriends can go in that relationship. That's why after dating, there comes marriage. And we need to see that that's some absolutes that God teaches in his book. Now, this next one may get me in trouble, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Another absolute we learn in our Bible is that pets are not children. I know a lot of us love our pets, and a lot of us think they're going to heaven with us. And I tell you, lately, when I've been flying, I'm almost seeing more animals than I am people. It's kind of scary. But pets are not children. And the Bible talks about that distinction. We are made in the image of God. 
We have God's thumbprint stamped upon our hearts. We love our pets. We need our pets. But they are not our children. Another absolute we can learn from the Bible, and that is feelings are not facts. You feel a certain way, but that doesn't mean it is that way. It doesn't even mean it's truthful. I can just feel a certain way. And when we don't know the difference between feelings and facts, we're going to get things mixed up. Another absolute in the Bible, and that is the creatures are not the creator. God is the creator. We are in his image. We are subject to the Lord. We are not equal with God. That's something the Bible brings out to us. Another absolute the Bible teaches us, and that is words are not harmless. Your mother told you sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's really not true. Those bones heal, but sometimes those words stay with us forever. And so words are not harmless. This includes on social media. This includes whatever we put out there. I think another absolute from the Word of God, and that is the Internet is not the local church. We understand in place of COVID, sometimes we had to do what we had to do. But there's a time that watching things is not what the local church is. We need to be together. We need to have fellowship. And that's, again, something I think the Bible teaches in many ways. And then the last absolute, and that is sin is not righteousness. It never will be. Now, with every one of these eight absolutes, I could build all kinds of sermons behind it. I could put you a whole bunch of verses that would support every one of those. But what's also true of every one of these eight absolutes is that Satan turns them upside down. And Satan almost looks at the opposites of every one of these, not only being important and right, but almost to the point of their imperative. These opposites are filtering through politics. These opposites are filling through society and our culture today. And what they've done is they've just mixed things up. It's very similar to what the prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah chapter 5, where he said in beginning of verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And what we see is that what they've done is they just turned things upside down. And that's what our culture has done. And all that leads us to our focus this evening, and that is John chapter 8. And we want to look at just a few verses here where we talk about five freedoms that's found in Jesus Christ. John chapter 8. Let's go over there and read this. This begins with verse 31 as Jesus is speaking and read down to verse 36. John chapter 8, begin verse 31. Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain in the house. If indeed the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And we'll stop there and kind of go back and, and look at some things Jesus is talking about here. Now the, now, the thrust of this passage begins with this idea of continuing in the Word of God. That's what he says in verse 31. If you abide in my Word. Other translations will use the idea, if you hold to my teaching. Or if you abide in my Word, as ESV says. Philip says, if you're faithful to what I have said. That is the crux of what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, if you like me, this is what's going to take place. 
if you say you love me, this is what's going to happen. The focus of this passage is you stay in my word. And we need to appreciate that there needs to be a distinctiveness and a definitiveness to our teaching and our preaching. There's a lot of sermons today preaching the churches of Christ that could be preached in any church anywhere in the world. There's nothing distinctive about it. And what we need to see is that message that Jesus preached. Sometimes it wasn't popular then. Sometimes it's not popular today. Sometimes it's not what people want to hear then. It's not what people want to hear today. But it's a distinctive and definitive message of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so important there. Now I want you to notice before we look at the five freedoms, I want you to notice three things that comes out of this. First of all, as he talks about these things, first of all, he says, you will be disciples of mine. Verse 31 says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The word disciple is, is the idea of a pupil. And it's the idea of one who learns from the others. It's interesting in the art world, they can sometimes look at somebody who wasn't quite to the level of a master, but they could tell he was trained by a master. His artwork is the same characteristic of someone else. He has been taught by the master. And that's the idea here of a disciple, is that we have been taught by Jesus. These are the characteristics we have. The mark here is how close you are to God's word. Secondly, Jesus says you shall know the truth. Knowledge destroys error. Knowledge gives confidence. There's no guessing, there's no hoping, there's no wishing, you know. How do you know? You continue, you are faithful, you are abiding in the word of God. And then the third thing which we're going to take off on this evening, this is what's going to give you freedom. Freedom, how important that is to our country today. It's the bedrock of what we are. We are a free country. I can stand up here today and say what I want to say, not having to have anybody in the government look at this sermon and give a red check saying, it's okay, now you can preach this. We are a free society, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. But Jesus here is talking about something else. Democracy wasn't a part of his world when he taught these things. There's another kind of freedom, and that's what we want to talk about. The five freedoms in Jesus. Number one, it's the freedom from the deception of sin. And sin is built upon lies. Truth kills lies. You don't have to know everything that's wrong to know what's right. What you have to do is just know what's right, and it'll stand out. In the book of 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, and in verse 14, the apostle says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now that takes us back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve in the garden. And you'll remember the serpent didn't come up and take that forbidden fruit and cram it in Eve's mouth and say, now eat this. No. She chose to eat. She chose to eat because she was tricked. She was fooled. She was deceived. The serpent twisted some words. The serpent played with her mind. The serpent played with her theology about God. And that's what this does. And so what this will do is Staying in God's word, faithfully following God's word, it will give you the freedom from deception. There are so many lies out there today, so many things that are presented as truth, but they're not truth. And what happens is when you abide in God's word is you have the freedom from the deception of sin. You won't get caught. 
You won't be off guard because you know the truth. You have the knowledge, and the truth will make you free. Do you remember the shortest verse in the Bible? Two words, remember? Jesus wept. What's the next shortest? Anyone know that one? It's a three-word verse. There's actually a bunch of them. There's a bunch of verses that have just three words. And one of them is found in the Gospel of Luke. And here Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Three words. Well, what do we remember about her? Well, we remember the big picture. They're supposed to leave Sodom and not turn around. And she turned around and became a pillar of salt. But what else do we remember? She was married to a righteous person, wasn't she? Lot. That's why God was rescuing him. We also remember that she died in disobedience. We also remember that she partially obeyed God. God told really two things, to leave and not look back. She did leave, but the looking back part, she didn't quite do. We also remember, she only looked one time. God didn't say, now, eat, or, or Lot's wife, I'm going to give you one other time. Don't look again. Now, one more time. No, I think she looked one time, one time. Now, what does this mean? She was deceived. She, she had her mind not where it should have been. And what freedom in Jesus will do, freedom in Jesus will keep you from the deception. It's okay to look. It's okay to do it just one time. You won't get caught. I know people have done a whole lot of things that are a lot worse. That's all the lies of deception. The truth will make you free. Free from what? The lies of sin. Secondly, it will make you free from the practice of sin. Free from the practice of sin. You know, we're so accustomed to this expression, well, we all sin, that we just kind of give each other a pass on that. Well, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. No, you shouldn't have done that. But we all sin, we say. And we just kind of think, well, it's okay. But when we look in the book of Romans, and, and Jason took us through Romans today, a wonderful lesson. But Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our, our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. The truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from the practice of sin. Got your Bible now? Turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. A while back, I went out to eat with this friend. He'd had bypass surgery. He's had a couple heart attacks. It was just a mess. And we went out to eat. And when we're eating, oh, he got the salad. He got the salmon. He's real careful about what he's eating these days. And the reason is he wants to live. He wants to live. His old lifestyle realized that it wasn't good. And that's kind of the point we're making here, is when you realize your old lifestyle, your old lifestyle is what got you in trouble. The old lifestyle is what messed you up. And so what you do is you say, you know what, things have got to change. I'm going to be free from sin. Now notice Colossians chapter 3, if you will, and begin with me in verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now, if you're an underliner, you need to underline that and then circle that. 
Sometimes we just say they're comatose. Sometimes we just say they're asleep for a moment. They're like the old grizzly bear. They're hibernating. But it will come back every time. The apostle says it's lifeless. It's dead. Consider your old life over. That's what he's saying there. Consider that dead, he says, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed which amounts to idolatry. It's on account of these things the wrath of God will come. In them you once also walked when you were living in them, but now you put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And, and as he's emphasizing these things, he's telling about this new life we have in Jesus Christ. There are certain things that's going to kill you spiritually. You've got to realize I've got to stay away from them. So what does this knowledge tell me? It tells me that my practice of sin has to end. I've got freedom in Jesus, freedom from the practice of sin. Thirdly, as we think about our lesson, it gives us freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. But once again, the book of Romans, chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its lust. He's emphasizing here the addictive nature of sin. And sin can be addictive in many ways. When we hear addictions, we think of alcohol and drugs. But there's a lot of addictions. One can be just lying and telling another lie and telling another lie. I like what one person says. When you're, when you're a habitual liar, you've got to have a good memory. Because you've got to remember what that last lie was so it doesn't trip you up the next time. That's what habitual sin is like. That's what it does. It can take over and take charge of you. And in verse 17 and verse 18, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed. Now notice two running themes in this verse here. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. Continue in my word is what John 8 says. And then what does that do? That makes you free, free from sins. You became slaves of righteousness. Every person is a slave to somebody. You can say to yourself, you know what? Nobody tells me what to do. I'm a slave to nobody. I call my own shots. You're a slave to Satan. That's exactly what he wants you to say. And you're not calling your own shots. He owns you. You're either owned by Jesus or you're owned by the devil. And what freedom in Jesus will do, it will give you that freedom from that power of sin. And that no one can have the excuse to do those things over again. No one has to say, well, I can't help it. You can help it and you can have the freedom. Number four, what it does, it gives you freedom from the consequences of sin. The consequences can be a ruined life, a wrecked marriage, a reputation that is dark. Sin has never improved one's attitude. It's never given one a better character. It's never improved things at the workplace. It's never helped the congregation. What follows is shame, guilt, sorrow, and a path of destruction. A night in jail, an unwedded pregnancy, an addiction, a loss of license, fired from a job, divorce, multiple health issues. These are the things that follows when sin is there. Truth will make you free. Truth will make you realize that's not the life. That's not the life God made me for. That's not the best life. 
and that will give me the freedom from those consequences. And then the fifth thing, five freedoms found in Jesus. The fifth thing is the freedom from the penalty of sin. Again, the book of Romans, chapter 6. But having been freed from sin, enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Freedom from hell. Freedom from the penalty, the harshness, the eternity of this. Truth will steer you toward Jesus. It will put you on the path of righteousness. You got your Bible? Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation, chapter 20. Here, through inspiration, John shows us a picture of where every one of us is headed. John, chapter 20, beginning here with verse 11. He says, I saw a great white throne, and him who stood upon it, from whom's presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found in them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. Now stop there for a minute. Who did John see? Well, it says he saw the dead. Yeah, he did. What dead? Old Testament dead? Yeah. Saw Abraham? Yeah, because Abraham's dead. Saw Peter? Yeah, Peter's dead. That's New Testament. Everyone that died up to the coming of Jesus, he saw. Your mother died? John saw her. Your daddy died? John saw her. Your wife died? John saw. Your husband died? John saw. You had a son die? John saw. If you died before Jesus comes, he would have seen you. And you know else who he saw standing there? He would have seen himself. Because John died before Jesus came. I saw the dead. He saw my mother because she's dead. He saw my father because he's dead. He saw everybody in my family up to the point when Jesus comes. If I died before Jesus comes, he would have seen Roger Shouse right there in the Bible. He would have seen me standing there before that throne. This is a picture that's going to come to every single one of us. There's no bypass here. There's no thing, you know what, I'm going to exempt myself from this one. I've got this all covered. I don't have to do this. Every single person from the great. And you think about when you go through history, there's certain names come up. The Pharaohs and Caesars and the Lincolns and the Washingtons. The small. All those people, we don't even know who they are. You walk through a cemetery, you see all these stones. I don't know who these people are, just names. Great people, small people. Important people, common people. John saw them all. So let's read on here in John, rather, rather, verse 11 of Revelation 20. I saw the great white throne, him who sat on it. Verse 20, verse 12, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Seems like there's two books there, doesn't there? One book is the book of life, which if your name's in it, you're going to heaven. The other book must be God's book. Remember John 8? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so as he goes on here, he says in he says in verse 12, 
the book of life and the dead were judged when the things were, were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from that horrid, eternal consequence. No one has to be lost. No one has to lose their soul. Hell does not have to be your destination. It doesn't have to be because of the freedom we have in Jesus Christ to live as Jesus wants us to live, to be what God wants us to be. And so when we think about this lesson, we think about things that are important, things that are urgent, things that are on top of the list here. We need to remind ourselves that this is what the freedom in Jesus Christ really means. Continue, be faithful to my word, and you'll be free. And so that's what the lesson's all about. This is why we emphasize and emphasize and emphasize reading your Bible. This is why we teach the Bible. This is why we want you to get that Bible taught to your children. This is why we emphasize getting that Bible in your hearts, because there is the freedom. The freedom doesn't come from a group of people rising up. And taken over. Freedom doesn't come from armies. Freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. And no one can give us the freedom from these things except Jesus. And he does that as we give our life to him. We're baptized and we receive his grace. And we have the hope of eternal life. Story said in 1838, there was a group of Jamaican slaves in Virginia. And this is long before the Civil War. And the master decided to grant them all freedom. He said on Monday morning, all of you men and all of your wives and all of your children will be free. If you want to stay on the farm and work, I will pay you. If you want to go wherever you want to go, you can go wherever you want to go. I'm granting you freedom. That was to happen on Monday morning. Sunday night, they built a casket. They put all their chains and the whips he used to use in that casket. And at midnight, they went to the cemetery and buried that casket and sang a hymn to God, rejoicing for the freedom. And in a more profound way, this is what Jesus has done for you. He's given you freedom. Freedom to live with hope. Freedom to have a promise. Freedom to go to heaven. Freedom when you don't deserve it. We were all slaves owned by Satan. But Jesus Christ bought us. He redeemed us. He sanctified us. He justified us. He gave us the hope in Christ Jesus. That's what salvation's all about. And what a simple little way Jesus taught us that lesson. You shall know my truth. You shall know my word. And my word is what's going to give you freedom. This evening, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. We would love to baptize you in Jesus Christ based upon the Word of God. Maybe you've been living in sin. Maybe as a child of God, you're acting like the child of the devil. Maybe you're not following this Word very closely. Maybe you're not faithful to this Word. 
Maybe you play little games with God. I'll come to church once in a while and read this, but it's not really something that just governs my life. It's not the compass of my life. It doesn't determine where I want to be. If that's the way it is, you need to make some adjustments. The freedoms are there if you'll be faithful to God. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?